Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, November 21st, 2022. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media Commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So two pieces of news in Trump world. One, Merrick Garland announced on Friday, the attorney general, that he was appointing a special prosecutor to make the final determination. Along with him, he has to he has to make the decision, really, but on whether to charge Donald Trump in two separate matters. One is whatever his role in January 6th might have been that might have a criminal element to it. And the other is the mishandling of classified information in the uh retention of documents at mar-a-lago um so those are the two cases and he appointed this uh prosecutor jack smith who apparently uh made his uh reputation not really as an american prosecutor but as a prosecutor at the hague uh going after war criminals which is an interesting look for merrick garland to have uh to have chosen but Probably this is the only person he could find in the in in his in his world of acceptable people who hasn't tweeted something at some point insulting to Trump, and that that obviously was a necessary adjunct to whoever he might pick. And so this guy, you know, unless he did it in Dutch, you know, because uh, he was at the Hague uh, and and no one translated it, uh, must be clear of of any expressed opinion about Trump at any point in his professional career because then obviously Trump would have a claim that he needed to recuse himself and not be not be the prosecutor um so that's Trump number one Trump number two uh there was the Republican Jewish coalition met in Las Vegas this weekend and it was a parade of uh you know top flight Republican talent and power and uh Trump spoke remotely and he said in uh in response, I think, to Norm Coleman, the former senator from Minnesota, asking him what he intended to do to ensure a great future for America. He said, I'm, he literally said, I'm going to go back into the past, um, which I think is the, to me, is the first relevant indication that this idea that he may really be past his cell date might be true, because that is a terrible, that is actually what's in his head and I understand the notion that you want to go and restore what's broken and what's lost, but you're not supposed to say, as we know from Bob Dole saying it in 1996, that what you want to do is return America to a better past. That is not the way you put it. That's not the way people think about politics or, you know, certainly nobody under 40 says, man, I really want to go back to the past um, so it just indicates to me that his mindset is not conducive, you know, is not the lightning in a bottle mindset of 2015, 2016 and everybody attacked him. So, uh, every, everybody else, Chris Christie, Larry Hogan, uh, Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, they all took shots at him. Um, and that's big, I think, because yeah, they may run, they may not run, um, but some bloom is off the rose. They're not, they're not as afraid of him anymore, or they may not be afraid at all. Anyway, that's what my... did Nikki Haley say? Because the only thing I caught of her is this absolute trash rationalization about the um, lackluster performance Republicans turned in. She said there weren't bad candidates per se. We were just outraised. 
So we need to upgrade our fundraising apparatus. She's hedging her bets. That's an effort. No, she said a younger generation needs to lead across the board. Uh, Well, Chris Sununu also said Trump's not going to get the money. Um, But remember, Haley promised earlier that she would not run if Trump stood for election. So now she's trying to backpedal so that she can, I assume, throw her hat in the ring if she feels the need. But she's been she's been extremely wishy-washy throughout. I mean, yeah, there is no need. I agree. You know, what was one of the most interesting things said and makes me uh, uh, nurtures my secret hope that that political operators actually listen to us. Um, DeSantis talked about the ground game that they lost in this last election. And he talked about he said if they if the Democrats are doing ballot harvesting, Republicans need to do it, too. We need to embrace mail-in voting. It's a real departure from the suspicion of some of these alternative voting methods that Republicans have long held that we've talked about, you know, off and on uh, in the past few months here on the podcast. And I was very glad to hear that message to sort of it, it was a very practical diagnosis of a of a practical problem the party has right now in terms of its ground game, particularly in midterms. And if they can improve on that so that in two years they have a, a you know, a, a better uh, system in place, then then they'll be more competitive. And that's again, like it seems mundane, but that's the kind of practical stuff that if you're a Republican candidate or you're a Republican voter matters, not not Mr. Right. Grievance. Okay. Over there. Can I just ex- express a, a profound frustration that I'm having with Chris Sununu? Um, if he's, uh, if he's highlighting fundraising, he has developed a, a tick. It is gratuitous at this point where he just runs down the Senate as an institution. Yeah, he loves being a governor, but the Senate is worthless. The Senate is trash. The Senate is where people without talent go to talk to each other and achieve nothing. And But also, we need really good fundraising. One of the reasons why the Senate has become, to the degree that it has, uh, what Chris Sununo alleges it to be, is in part because you can't get into the institution unless you self-fund. Um, that's why we have a lot of rich people in the Senate. And it it has made the Senate an unattractive option for quite a lot of otherwise talented individuals. Maybe in part because people like Chris Sununu say it's a trash institution that doesn't belong to it. It shouldn't exist. And if you're trying to get into it, then you'd have better things to do with your time. And maybe maybe you've uh, you've got a little discretion problem. It just it's it's overdone. And the attacks on our institutions rub me the wrong way. And I don't understand why people find this a uh, a lovely feature that he's developing for himself. It, it looks to me very crass. Well, look, in his state, uh, which is an anomalous state, like you don't actually have to have a lot of money to run. Um, you know, it's a retail politics state. It's small. Uh, you know, there's only one media market, uh, which is Boston. Um, and uh, and so, you know, Bolduck, the senatorial candidate, like had no money. And uh, granted, he lost by but he didn't lose because he didn't have any money. Um the weird thing about that a- angle is that it's totally untrue because between uh, between the Senate, the NRSC, and the Mitch McConnell, what was it called? The something Victory Fund or something like that? They had like $750 million together to give to Senate candidates. That's a lot of money. And so the issue is, how do you get to the point that the Senate give that the, that these that these people give you money, and it's hard for ordinary citizens to run because it's a twenty four hour a day job, and you know you may have another job, and you have to do it for a year, and how are you going to get paid? And sometimes these people pay themselves out of the money that they raise, which seems to me to be totally fair. 
But that then becomes a political issue that's used against them. It's like, oh, they're just taking money from you and paying themselves a salary. Well, I, why shouldn't the candidate get a salary if everybody working for the candidate gets a salary? He's also doing this 24 hours a day and doesn't have independent money. And so it is a it is a weird glitch of our system. Um, I I want to the thing that you said about the, you know, DeSantis talking about ballot harvesting and all of that. Three states where the red wave happened, right, are Florida, California, and New York. California is even more is in some ways is looking very much like New York. The republic the share of Republican vote in the midterms grew exponentially. Um, you know, I, I think it's not clear yet where everybody is winning, but California was a little like New York in that it won unexpected House races. Republicans won unexpected House races, ran up the vote. These are all states that have absolutely no problem with the electoral system as it stands. And the whole hysteria about ballot harvesting comes from what happened in California in 24 in 2018. When the when ballot harvesting became a thing, it was like legally approved that you could collect people's ballots and bundle them and send them in. And uh Republicans went crazy because they were like, this isn't fair, because they didn't understand that they could do it. But California, it, it one, yeah. Uh, one one reason why a lot of Republicans don't like it is is actually logistical because if you're if you're a ballot if you're a bundler a ballot harvester for the Democrats you just go into a city and you get you sweep up in a day you can get a ton yeah. of votes. If you right. live in a rural say border country in you know South Texas that's going to take a week to get the same number of votes. So there is right. because there are more rural yeah, voters. Okay, but like on. yeah, so uh, Republicans. But it's still possible. Win, you can still win do rural it. counties. Yeah. It'll, you know, win. I don't know, eighty percent of America's counties. Right. going away so they can't you know so democrats have also complained that's not fair you know what i mean right. but the point about the people talk about how bad the california republican party is but in california or at least at the congressional level they made their peace with ballot harvesting after 2018 they did what desantis is talking about and said okay we can't let this happen to us again we're gonna do what they do and the results are there for everybody to see in 2022. So this is even more a sign of the craziness of this approach by Republicans who, again, want to live in the past, in which a country in which 112 million people vote in a midterm election is supposed to be decided on a single day with paper ballots, which is just bananas, like I keep saying I've never voted. I once had to vote on a paper ballot in my entire life. And that was in 2000 when the voting machines at my precinct in Brooklyn Heights broke down. And so we, everybody there cast what's called a provisional ballot. I don't think the ballot was ever counted because, you know, the state went, I don't know what it went for, for Gore. It went, you know, 15 points for Gore or something like that. So they didn't count the provisional ballots because the, there weren't enough of them to make any kind of a difference. I mean, but, you huge... know, I've been voting for 40 years, for 45, I don't know, my first election was 1942 years. I've never voted on paper. Like this is, this is, this is Michigan. This is, this is madness. But it, it's a, it's a real mindset issue here, because if you decide that the game is uh, rigged in its structure, then there is it makes no logical sense to try to win at the game to try to to try to do the things that give you an edge um, well, and the then, whole... and, yeah 
Yeah, the whole, the whole concept of an edge is is now somehow isn't that illegitimate and isn't that indicative of a, of a problem? And well, the and they, the yeah. there's also we we should also add that what it leads people to do and particularly in in this has led uh, to something horrific in Arizona. The guy, the Maricopa County Maricopa County election supervisor, a Republican who is not an election denier, has had to move to an undisclosed location because he's receiving death threats for doing the job of being an election of supervising an election. That is insane, and that is entirely coming from the right side of the political aisle. These people are deciding that you know they don't like what an election looks like. They're gonna they're gonna threaten violence against the person who's just doing his job. That's insane. And that's the kind of stuff that I think actually I wish um, some of the people who are thinking about putting their hat, throwing their hat in the ring in 2024, they need to start talking about that too. Like that is that is the actual logical conclusion of a lot of the Trumpier rhetoric about elections. And it's it's extremely dangerous and it's very, very bad. But it's better um, than fundraising. I mean, <laughs> at the very least, it's like the idea that don't vote for Trump because he's going to struggle to raise money is A, dubious and b not going to move a single vote i mean it's also fair to say that a the idea that he can't raise money is demented because he yeah. raises money all the time every day he raised a hundred and something million dollars um for small dollar donors he's a power small dollar donors. And, and as the nominee he would amass as much cash as any other republican would. And he's very rich. People forget this. And he did, despite the fact that the line is he won't put his money own money at him. He puts he put sixty million dollars into his primary race himself. Uh, that's a lot of money. Like that's more money than any individual has put into his own race for president ever. And you know, if he really wants it, he's got plenty of resources to fund it. He's going to have this war chest. He's sitting on a $115 million war chest that he could use for himself. This is another Republican addiction. Just, we were talking can, about can, pretty girls and celebrities. They're addicted to self-funders. Yeah. Well, with that in mind, I, I want to return to an idea that came up at the beginning. I think it's great that that all these uh, Republicans attacked him for saying it. Um, I do think that in 2022, I want to go back to the past is a perfectly fine message. I think actually everyone wants to go back to the past. I'm, I'm being serious. I, I I understand traditional terms. It's 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 horrible. Um, I think uh -huh. I don't think it's horrible at this point. Elaborate though. What what particular past? Well, we we've been saying. Well, doesn't much matter. We've we've <laughs> been we've been saying for a while. I mean, it's sort of like you know Yuval's concept that we're 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 you know caught up in this sort of nostalgic view of uh, the country and its institutions. Um, I think it's just a a. a thoroughly appealing idea it's not it's not a great leap from make america great again to i'm going to go back to, to i'm going to go back to the past but see i i i think that there are a lot of americans though who hear let's go back to the past as a form of um you know putting uh, plunging your head into the sand at a time where actually the message they want to hear is someone and again i go desantis actually struck this tone over the weekend in some of his remarks someone who's just who's not super flashy and he's actually still he's got to work on his speaking skills he's not he needs a little boost of charisma but he he said he's like here's how we got to fix this here's what we're going to do here's what we did in florida here's what works here's what we know how someone more practically minded because we're in a lot of messes right now and i think a lot of people feel like that's the leadership they want and that's what biden had promised right kind of a return to stability a return to the pre-trump era and he has not delivered that at all not just so a return I, to I, stability I, and, and, but as a uh, as a social covenant a return to a, a, a 
a family structure that can survive on a single income, gold watches at the end of a 50 year retirement party, like the you know unions that were powerful mm-hmm. enough to guarantee stable labor. I mean, that is that is a it's always a, a dated yeah. social covenant. So in, in that sense, yeah, everybody I is wanna... arguing back to the past. Right. So I don't want to like play the game of going back to Ronald Reagan and saying he did everything right and he should he should do it. But one thing that he did was he said they think that you're the problem. They think that this society is unjust. They think that you're, you know, you need to change and you need to change the way you think about the gender and the way they need this and you need you are not the problem. They are the problem. Government is the problem. Government is not the solution. That is a way of framing it in which you say the current political dominant liberal consensus is damaging and I am going to do what I can to extirpate it. But you don't say, I want to go back to the past because that sounds like old man shaking fist at cloud there are plenty of people in this country under the age of 35 who have been taught that the american past is bad like a lot of it is bad and they 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 don't have nostalgic feelings about the american past they think it's you know they, they have all kinds of you know weird images of the american past and by the way the american past wasn't so good i don't mean that it was bad because you know women were barefoot and pregnant and 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 blacks lived under jim crow and all of that that's that's many generations removed from this but you know it's not like it's not like the past 30 years have been you know fantastic and trump's line is i did every, everything he said in the speech on on monday or tuesday or whatever it was I did everything. Everything was just great. And then I lost the election. Well, people in America did not think that everything was great. Like he's got it. He is wrapped in a either it's that NLP thing where he wants to say things so often that it hypnotizes people into believing them or he believes them himself. We had 2% growth. It's not like the everything was fantastic. I mean, the the unemployment rate went was very low, and incomes were growing for the first time in like twenty years. So that was very big. But like, we didn't have explosive growth. We didn't have, you know, social peace. I don't know. I mean, we it, what things weren't so good that when COVID hit, it was like, oh man, everything was just going so great, and then COVID hit. That's in Trump's head. That's not what people thought. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm willing to entertain that you're more right about this than that I'm being sort of vulgar about it. Um, it also doesn't land with young voters. Younger voters, their past is not that there's not. I, I mean, I think his message probably does have some resonance with like the aging boomer population that thinks this country is going to hell in a handbasket because of, you know, the Democrat Party, you know, like who watch a lot of Fox News. And that's why I'm not. Look, I remember I've, these people are in my extended family, so I love them that this is a this is a thing. But younger voters and, and, and particularly like young professional voters with families who are worried about a lot of the kind of kitchen table issues, 
the going back to the past message has no meaning for them, right? Because they look, they actually are struggling more than their parents' generation did. They're a lot more cynical about what their future looks like. And they do need, I think John's right, they need some message of hope. And they also need someone, they, they need a little bit of someone to blame, because that's actually something that motivates people to go and vote for Kennedy, right? To say these, what Reagan did, these people are messing stuff up, but in a kind of abstract way, and then here's what we're going to do to fix it. The fix it message is the thing that really, I think, could help a Republican in the upcoming presidential race. How are, you, how are we going to fix it? If they're struggling more than their parents did, that that kind of is a that kind of speaks to my point. Right. But they don't want to go back. I, I would say they, they they're more liberal. They, they don't really want to go back to their parents age because it's a different. I don't know. The generational differences for some of these voters are kind of striking and they also have fewer of them are having kids fewer of them are settling down into life Absolutely. In their and it's not a literal i'm not saying it's a literal plan or a message you know <laughs> i but i i think it strikes a i think it strikes a significant enough uh accord in enough people that it's just it's not it's not the political disaster that it once I was i mean here see. you want to talk yeah. about something really dark before we you know, move on maybe it's not 2019 that they actually really want to return to but 2020 because 2019 was you had to kind of stand on your own two feet and you had to commute into the office every day. And it was a, it was a cutthroat world out there. And then it just wasn't. You're talking about a certain coterie of voters. Mm -hmm. Those voters are probably unreachable. I would imagine that those people who people who even if they only know it unconsciously or they don't want to admit it who liked being brought into the loving embrace of, you know, government largesse are not going to are not the people who will be stirred to vote Republican in 2024. I mean, I think they, they understand which side of the bread there, you know, where the butter is and, 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 you know, that's not, that's not unconvincing to them. I just, every candidate who runs against an incumbent says the incumbent has broken things and, and we got to fix them. And then when we fix them, we will be we will take our train and we'll put it on track to a more glorious future. Trump doesn't get to the more glorious future because he doesn't actually care about the future. His whole purpose in running is to revise American history so that he didn't lose. That's why he would run again. He's not running again for any other reason. I mean, not that politicians, I mean, fine. Like, I don't want to, you know, glorify politicians and say they really, they're running because they have a mission and they have a calling and all of that. But this is a very specific thing that he wants. And yeah, there are tens of millions of people who sort of are in it with him or at least sympathetic to that idea. But I don't think there are 80 million I really don't. I mean, there may be 20 million. That's a lot. That's a lot to come into a race with, like 20 million. But it's not 80. And that's a very that's a very key difference, you know, that the and and saying what he is saying then turns off twice as many people as as he wants to appeal to. And he's he's doing something that's actually the mirror image of what conservatives claim to hate about what the left does. So he's he's getting into these sort of big, big picture kind of ideological claims about where the country is, what what the people stand for, all this stuff that when they when the left does this, we have an instant allergy to. He's doing that on the right. And again, I contrast that with some of the I think about Yunkin and DeSantis and some of the other Republicans out there 
They're talking about, here's how we deliver results for the people who voted us into office. Here's our blueprint. Blueprint was a word that popped up a couple of times in DeSantis's remarks over the weekend. Here's a blueprint for success. Here's what we did for you. They are, and, the, and then they decry the, you know, this idea that an entire political party should embrace the idea that every child born in this country might be born into the wrong body. Every Everything about our history is evil and should be taught in this way. They're not trying to fight that specific argument. He's just saying that's not the job of government. And that message actually, although kind of seems kind of dull, is incredibly appealing to people like me and others who live in cities or live in areas where things just don't work. And you're like, can somebody just make this work? I really don't care what you think about, you know, this, this, this. Just do your job. Don't do other jobs. <laughs> do this job. Something else occurs to me in this realm, which is that, you know, we had this addiction. Addiction's the wrong word. It's too cute. But we elected Seriatim, with the with the exception of George H.W. Bush, we elected governors almost exclusively from 19. We uh, Carter was a governor. Reagan was a governor. Clinton was a governor. George W. Bush was a governor. The reason is the governors come in, they say, you know what? I'm not from Washington, so I don't play this game. I'm not part of that game. And look, here's what I did in my state. Dukakis tried to do that. He was a governor, and but he had a bad record. Uh, Democrats didn't understand that his record was, you know, was like a was like a feast for Republicans to dine on. Um, and then we stopped. Right. Then uh, Obama wins and uh, and and Trump wins. And uh, Romney was a governor. Also, remember, that was also his 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 governing experience. OK. Trump runs in 2015. There's like almost no governors and there were like Christie wasn't even. Was he still governor? No, he was out. Or was he still governor? He was not. No, governor. remind me. Was he was he a <clears throat> okay. sitting governor? Yes, he was. Yes. He, he was. Okay. So he was the one governor, I believe. I, I maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody else was wrong. I don't know. But the point is that the leading candidates against Trump were all senators or former senators. Like they were all, you know, Rubio and Cruz and all this. And excuse me for I'm now cover your children's ears. But the point is, like, senators are bullshitters. And they come in and they say, we want this. We are America is this. I and they don't do anything like they vote on bills. They discharge petition. They do whatever. And they don't have anything practical to offer. And neither did Trump. But the thing is that he wasn't up against anybody who would say, you're just full of hot air. You know what I did? I balanced the state's budget. I, you know. I provided this and we had that and we did this and we, you know, we turned this, the education system around. I mean, Jeb Bush was a former governor, right? Okay. But he had, it was like eight years out of the governor's mansion. But I mean, I did this, I did that. I did the other thing. And who are you? You're just a bag of hot air. But that's not what Trump's going to face. Right. So he didn't face that. He just faced other well, senators bags of hot too. air. What? Senators have records too. They have to defend votes yes. that they didn't. No, know. John no, just I, ran down the Senate. I just yeah, ran down I, the Senate. No, but I'm saying that when 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 a senator makes a big play, he's talking about his vision for the country and his vision for things. Because, with the exception of very 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 few senators, and John McCain was actually one who actually make policy in the Senate, write bills, get them passed, have something they need to defend. Obviously, it's actually bad to be a senator. Obama was the first senator to get to to win in forever. 
because John Kerry had to say that thing about how he voted against the 87 billion before he voted against it. He voted for it before you, you know, that kind of senatorial nonsense. My point is that Trump is going to run in 2024 against a bunch of people who actually have record, records, but he has a record too. To he was president for four years. I know, but he's not president now, and his record for, as president for four years is very controversial. And by the way, controversial rightward. That is, why didn't you fire Fauci? Why did you fall for them shutting down the country? I don't actually fault him for any of that myself. But, you know, fair is fair. He'll say anything and they'll say anything. And it's a contrast with a state like Florida, for example, which actually was in direct opposition to what the federal government under Trump was was doing. Yeah. So I'm just saying, yeah, he has a record. His record is he wants to say, judge me until December of 2019. Well, A, I don't know how much Republicans think, oh, my God, that was just so great, necessarily. Ordinary Republicans are sort of like the mass of Republicans. I mean, they probably think it's better than Biden, but they'll vote for anybody against Biden. They don't need Trump. They don't need Trump to vote against Biden. You know, it's like John Fetterman, like, you know, they could have a stroke victim. They'll vote. They'll vote against Biden. They'll vote for the stroke victim against Biden. It's not a problem to vote against Biden. Question is what you do to to get people who might vote for Biden not to vote for Biden and to vote for you or some version of that. I don't know. Anyway. I'm not predicting. I don't know. Uh, And then there's all this anxiety among Republicans that too many people are now talking about running for president. And that, you know, they're not coalescing. It's like we're not even voting. We've got plenty of time. Yeah. 14 (laughs) months. Let them play in the sandbox for a while, you know, hurl toys at each other. I mean, people will drop out of the race if they don't raise money. And my view is that in the Republican world, yeah, Trump will sort of like have the, the Trump and DeSantis will have reach have access to the small dollar donor, right? Uh, nobody else will, and the donor class, which is what props every candidate generally has had a donor. You know, has like had. Oh, by the way, Scott Walker also ran in twenty sixteen. I'm just saying, like, it's not like you, but the, you always have like a couple of guys who are like pumping. You know, actually, you know. Eight, whatever it is, eight figures into your campaign, into the into a super PAC or into a whatever it is, and so you you you're running on their backs. And I don't think that I think the donor class is going to be allergic to saying, "Oh, I I like Kristen. I'm going to give Kristen Nunu money," or you know, you know that Asa Hutchinson, he's really done a fantastic job in Arkansas. Let me give him, you know, ten million dollars or fifteen million dollars or whatever. Um, they're going to stay out of it or they're going to, they are, they have gotten the message that they need somebody to coalesce behind. And my guess is that they will throw more money at DeSantis than any human being has ever seen before in part to keep people out of the race. So, I mean, yeah, Nikki Haley can run people. She was the most popular person in the Trump cabinet. She was a governor. She's a person of color. You know, she's got a great story to tell. Although, you know, again, like, will the media tell her story? No, the media will insult her and defame her and say she, like, betrayed her Indian heritage by changing her name. Whatever they'll say, you know. 
Like she's already been through that ringer and she's not going to get credit. And, you know, I, I don't know. I don't mean to speak ill of Republicans, but I'm a little suspicious that a lot of Republican like core Republican voters are going to be that thrilled about voting for a woman of color, um, which is something she'll have to contend with or think about. Um, but, you know, I just think like the 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 portents are aren't like they're so the media are so eager to do a Republicans in disarray thing that they looked at this display of force by the Republican Party saying we need to win again in 2020. We have lost, we have lost three elections, we need to win again. One click away from saying it's this guy who did it to us. I mean, Pompeo basically said it. Uh and you know. That's I don't know if the Rubicon has been crossed, but, you know, like they're they're dipping their toe in the Rubicon of going after Trump. OK, let's take a break and hear from our first sponsor. Do you know only one in three Americans believes we can fully exercise our free speech rights? That's why fire is stepping up to protect freedom of expression for all Americans, no matter where you're from or what you believe. The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression or FIRE, knows free speech makes free people. FIRE will always be a principled, nonpartisan, nonprofit defender of your rights. Join the fight for free speech at www.thefire.org. Do we have anything to say about the prosecution of Trump or the special prosecutor? Anybody have anything? There was a handy flowchart at the Sunday New York Times this weekend where, you know, it like showed you all the different cases and it was like an interesting little graphic. Those cracked me up because you can just there's so many core staffers at the New York Times who just are dying to to make, you know, nice little images and, and graphics about how they're going to finally get Trump. But they might. I mean, th this guy is a serious prosecutor and whether or not he finds something criminal or something or, or just keeps Trump bogged down in these legal matters for the next couple of years, either way, that's going to have an impact on, on Trump's candidacy, one would imagine. And you don't want to be, as Hillary Clinton can tell you, you don't want to be under suspicion of indictment in, in the lead up to an election. What happened to the collective, you know, just garment rending for a month straight over the Mar-a-Lago raid? Where did that sentiment go? I mean, the Justice Department he exhausts people's off this investigation. Sympathy. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I, I find it hard to believe that the logic of the Justice Department handing off this investigation in order to preserve its independence and the the idea that it's not a political prosecution. I mean, that's it's too intellectual to get your head around. What we saw in the Mar-a-Lago Mar raid was an emotional response, but it's just by who? By the right? By the right? By the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. A very protective response. Yeah, um, right. A mama bear response. To Donald Trump, which is a bizarre yeah. instinct, but it nevertheless exists and is observable and is inexplicable in its own way. But he squanders that's not that here. We didn't see any of that. What, what happened to that sentiment? He squandered it, honestly, like between the losses in the midterms and the way he spoke about the raid um, as the weeks went by. Um, I, I think he, he has a real knack, as, as most narcissists do, of uh, the moment someone feels any sympathy or pity for a situation or thinks, yeah, they really are giving you a bum rap, they somehow are able to just relentlessly focus on themselves in a way that makes you realize, oh, God, I don't well, care. He's also now, you know, in his world, his grievances are competing with one another. Right. So there's only so, <laughs> so much. True. I mean, the, the, the main the main complaint is still is still that 
he he is the rightful president right i mean that that so so any the 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 minor ones can only have like a little a little window that they can get in i gonna suggest a theory which is that if smith and garland if smith comes to garland and says i want to indict him on x or y and garland says yes Trump is finished because the case is open and shut. They are not going to bring a bad case against Trump. The consequences for bringing a bad case against Trump are so uh, tsunami-like, politically, in terms of social cohesion, in terms of everything, that if you're talking about prosecutorial discretion and the whole question of whether or not to pursue this, they are not going to pursue it if it's like, well, we have a 60-40 chance of prevailing. Well, like isn't, that isn't the corollary to that that they'll undercharge and they'll charge something weak and dismissible in a political context? Do, perhaps or not. I mean, look, if they can secure a felony conviction, I mean, again, will they charge him with a misdemeanor? I find that very hard to believe. First of all, I don't think if you charge him with a misdemeanor and he's convicted of a misdemeanor that that has any larger consequence. I mean, what you're Noah's? No, I agree. I 100% agree. I mean, like, first of all, like he's not a convicted felon. I, I mean, so he's you know literally not would not be a convicted felon. I'm just saying that I think it is possible that this will end without result. That you know they will not be able to say particularly if the leaks of the over the last week are true and that you know there weren't terrible classified you know there wasn't there weren't nuclear secrets in the box that he took from Mar-a-Lago that he shoved stuff in a box and he didn't want to return it cuz he's a crazy person so he's a crazy person but he didn't like he did not in fact do damage to american national security uh, you know, and so they won't charge it. But if they charge it, we have we instantly look forward because a they'll charge him. B the case will go fast, not slow. Uh, because it will be the most high profile legal case since O.J. Simpson, and uh, you know, it's not going to be you know two years of discovery or whatever, and. And he'll be convicted, and then that will be the end of all of this. So that's that's where that's where I that's where I come down. That, uh, and I think it's very possible that they will not charge him unless unless they have more. And I do I how they charge him on January sixth when all he has to claim is his first amendment his first amendment rights. He's allowed to say he's an American citizen, not even the president. He can say whatever the hell he wants to say. And the government can't, can, you know, I mean, the fire in a crowded theater line, I think is true morally. I think it's true of what he did, but it's not true legally. And I still don't know if, you know, I mean, he, he believed that there was fire in the theater or he did whatever, you know, you can't prove that he didn't believe there was fire in the theater when he shouted fire in the theater. That that and that only works when he knows, and that's why the January sixth committee is all like he knew, he knew, he knew he lost, he knew he lost. 
500 people told him he lost. John, well, what that... about the inverse? If they, if if he's charged with nothing, how uh, what does that what does that make him? I don't think it makes him anything. Really? Well, they're not going to announce that they cleared him. I mean, a story will come out that says Trump will not be charged by the federal government, but that you know, and they don't have to say that doesn't mean that you know that doesn't mean that he. And then all I mean, the leaks will start. All the leaks to the media about what they actually did dig up will be planted right. very carefully, right. like seedlings. I don't know. I don't think that it. I don't think that it. It. I don't think that uh, the feelings of the public about Trump will be mitigated by by the fact that he's not charged by the Justice Department. First of all, he'll also probably be charged in Fulton County, Georgia. I mean that 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 per, that is a that is clearly a political prosecution going on and she wants to charge him and she'll charge him. Um and you know, I mean Tish James already pulled off this preposterous lawsuit against him where she claims that a civil suit is like, you know, no one is above the law. That's not what a civil suit is. Like a civil suit is. Anyway. Um, all right. Let me talk to you guys. I'm very excited to talk to you guys about our advertiser today, uh, Bull and Branch, because the holidays are coming. Now the holidays are really coming. We're, we're, we're 36 days or 35 days from Christmas. Most exciting time of the year. If you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you'll need to get your best sleep every night. All you need are the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bowen Branch. Bowen Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference. You can truly feel night after night. Noah Rothman, you sleep on Bowen Branch sheets. The holidays are coming up. You got. You told me you were like crazed this weekend with family activities. When you look at that bed, it's time to get in that bed. You look at those sheets. Are you like, oh man, I am, this is, this is like Christmas on Sunday. That's exactly right. Fall right into them and then don't even have a lot of time to contemplate uh, my glorious condition because I'm just um, on my way into dreamland. And I recommend that for you guys. I actually don't have any idea what I'm doing for Christmas for anybody at all. And it's almost December and it's time to panic. That might be a pretty good idea. Throw around some bowl and branch sheets. I might be doing that. Advertiser, look, this, if you're listening, could use some okay, help. Okay, look, this Black Friday, Noah, this Black Friday, right? The uh, day after Thanksgiving, give the gift of a better night's sleep with bowl and branch. I might take advantage you can of that. Get, what? Yeah. I might take advantage. Take advantage. Get 25% off your first set of sheets. Remember, usually we're offering 15. So this is 25% off your first set of sheets and free shipping. When you use promo code commentary at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H dot com, promo code commentary. Offer ends November 27th. So listen, go, 25% off, best deal you'll find for Christmas for your loved ones. Um, so uh, the New York Times did something yesterday that was so jaw-droppingly uh, dishonest and shocking that they would even like do what they did in my view that uh, it's important to talk about even though it doesn't matter because it's a preposterous claim so 
Jody Cantor. I am uh, Jody Cantor, a reporter well known for being one of the two people in the New York Times who investigated Harvey Weinstein and got people on the record to say that Harvey Weinstein had been, you know, sexually molest- had sexually molested them, and uh, is the subject therefore of a movie that opened on Friday called She Said, uh, that had the fourth worst opening of any movie in Hollywood history. It's feminist uh, Ishtar. Sorry. <laughs> Femishtar, right. <laughs> yeah. It's the Oogie Loves movie about journalism. It's all the president's Oogie Loves. The, that's a really obscure reference uh, that only Sonny Bunch will get, and he doesn't even listen to the podcast. But anyway, it did terribly, and so I'm really happy because she published a story that is on Saturday that is just egregious in the extreme, just as a matter of elementary fairness, which is that... The Reverend Rob Schenk, a former evangelical or who has now moved from left to right to left, um, wrote a letter to Chief Justice John Roberts saying he was told of the outcome of the Hobby Lobby case, which uh, involved the uh, in 2014, which involved uh, Obamacare. Uh, requiring companies to provide coverage for contraception and Hobby Lobby, a you know national business chain that uh, run by evangelicals who are pro-life, said they did not want to be involved in paying for anybody's abortion as they believe it is murder. And uh, he claims that he was told of the outcome of the 2014 case weeks before it was announced. He used that information to prepare a public relations push. And he said that at the last minute, he tipped off the president of Hobby Lobby uh, the craft store chain that was the winning party. Okay. There is no, this piece, which is very long, and uh, there is a paragraph that basically says right here that I have to dig up here that says, so the point here is that jo- Sam Alito wrote the opinion. And guess what? Sam Alito also wrote the opinion in Dobbs. And of course, we're now six months into the question of who, or eight months into the question of who leaked the draft of the Dobbs decision in the abortion rights case this year that who leaked it? Alito wrote Hobby Lobby. Alito wrote uh, Dobbs. So therefore, Alito leaked the Dobbs decision. First of all, there is no evidence in this story that Alito leaked the Hobby Lobby decision. None. You have to read it. And I'm, you know, it's, it's a kind of corkscrew Two people had dinner with Alito, who were friends of Alito's, and then said something to Shank, and this proved that he had already been told that the Hobby Lobby decision was coming down, that that Alito told them uh, that uh, because on the day after the meal that this woman had with Shank, uh, she sent uh, Shank a cryptic email saying she had news. She says, I never said anything. This woman, a Mrs. Wright, said, I never said anything. Being a friend or having a friendly relationship with a justice, you know they don't ever tell you about cases. They aren't allowed to, nor would I ask. So this whole thing is, there is no evidence that Sam Alito told anybody what the Hobby Lobby decision was. Everybody, as I recall, presumed that the Hobby Lobby decision was going go, going to go to Hobby Lobby and provide them with a 
you know, say that it was unconstitutional to require someone to pay for uh, an abortion um, because the five justices who decided Hobby Lobby, including Justice Roberts, were very, are very stalwart on the issue of religious liberty. And they, 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 you know, so I don't, I mean, that's, that's what's in my recollection. Anyway, the point here is that then Politico did a follow-up on this and said, we've been on this story for months also, because obviously this guy Shank is retailing it because he's got some grift going on where he wants to become sort of like a David Brock of abortion and evangelicals or something like that. And they could not come up with anything that proved that Alito said told anybody what the decision was. And in any case, and now I'm going to finish up and ask Christine to rant still further uh, after me. Even if Alito somehow let slip for the only time in his career as a judge what his decision was going to be, that is an order of magnitude different from releasing a draft decision before the court has, you know, has made a final determination on how it's going to vote. And it makes absolutely no sense for Alito to have leaked the decision. He wouldn't do it. It's, it's a, it's a slander to suggest with no evidence that he did or that he did this in the Hobby Lobby case either. And slander requires a higher level. You can't, yes, you can sort of like say anything you want to, about a public figure, but this is just slander. And I hope that Jody Cantor's movie makes $3 next weekend and that she is shamed and humiliated by the failure, her failure to become anything more than just a classic liberal journalist getting sucked up by Hollywood into a fantasy that she would somehow become Woodward and Bernstein and a, you know, a legend for the rest of her life. Christine, please respond. Um, I have, a, I think that it is an appalling story because there's no evidence of anything. It's all speculation. It's front big, big splash of a story with nothing to show for it. Um, if you live in Washington, D.C. and have any affiliation at all with any anything about the legal world, you will inevitably find yourself in social situations with Supreme Court justices or with people who go on to become Supreme Court justices. They are extremely disciplined human beings who don't discuss their cases. So what this is about is a, is trying to build a case against um, probably a conservative justice who the sort of mainstream left believes le deliberately leaked the Dobbs decision in order to get a vote, probably Kavanaugh's vote, um, to overturn Roe. So there's this whole theory that 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 you know the sort of pro-abortion left wants to wants to see uh, come to fruition about that leak. But we don't know anything about the leak. They are continuing to investigate it. We might never know about the leak because they have no obligation to inform anyone about what their own internal investigation finds. But this is an effort to further discredit the court. It's it's, you know, the, all this idea that certain justices are illegitimate. This is this is part of that effort. It's completely egregious and good, you know, good for Politico for putting out a statement saying, yeah, we couldn't we, we found no evidence that either Alito or his wife ever spoke about this. I will tell you a little story. I was at a restaurant in D.C. once at a table right next to Alito and his wife who were dining with friends. During the dinner that I was at, we discussed Supreme Court matters. Does that mean that, <laughs> is there some connection that can be made? Did Alito sneeze and I interpreted that as a decision? I mean, this is how absurd it is. The idea that these that these men and women who are given this you know lifetime appointment would go around chattering about its people is just insane. 
Their clerks, however, maybe, maybe some of their clerks were leakers. Maybe, maybe but that that's is not like... the claim in this story. The claim exactly. in the story is, is that, that he Shank warned them. New yes. Mr. and Mrs. Wright. Mr. And that Mrs. guy Wright is a big grifter, though. He's window. a super grifter. Yeah, he, he should be yeah. taken with with no yeah. seriousness at all. Yeah. So she says she didn't tell him. He says she did. And Alito is sitting there and it's not, you know, she may have emailed him to say, I said something about Hobby Lobby and Sam smiled. I mean, we don't know. It's a cryptic email where she said, don't, I can't tell you in email. Well, like, they're I'll reading the tea leaves. The yeah, they're, th this idea that they're supposed to be imputing motives and, and thought processes to justices with whom they just, you know, have met briefly socially. That's ridiculous. It's unfair to the justices, to all of them, regardless of their of their whatever, who whichever president appointed them. It's, it's ridiculous. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Noah. You have any I don't have much this? to add. I think you've pretty much summed it up. Okay. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I just have to repeat that I just came up with one of the best lines of my life, but it's so obscure. I have to repeat it again, but nobody will get it. But if you want to look it up, you'll understand it, which is all the president's oogie loves. And I can't leave it alone, but you have to look up oogie loves to understand it because I'm so proud of it. I just came up with it on the spur of the moment. I'm vainglorious enough to repeat it even though it probably isn't that good a line because, of course, nobody can get it. That's the problem. So now you know my now you know what what I if I were Trump I would just go around saying I said this really great thing in 2019 and nobody gave me credit for it. Please clap. <laughs> Please clap. <laughs> oh, we we did we we declined to celebrate uh, the president's 80th birthday in a very gentle but but pointed piece by the New oh, York yes. Times about. Did aging. you read that? Because mm -hmm. I just finished reading it too. We were all <laughs> expecting, right? This, you know, dump post election. Biden's lost it. He can't pull this off. He's got to have to usher himself off stage. And I was hoping that this would be this piece. It is not the piece. 80 is the new 40, Noah. I'm it, just telling you. 80 is the Dr. Dr. Blazer. I don't Dan Blazer is a professor emeritus at Duke University School of Medicine. Quote Slippage of memory is something that is usual, but it's not a real deficit. They forget. They remember they have forgotten, and they eventually remember what they have forgotten. You know what it means if you're a professor emeritus? It means you're old. You've been gently let go. <laughs> you're, you're having a you're like, like in a, retrospect, like it was of, a mistake. Some kind of retired use... gerontologist talking about age. I would prefer right. to have somebody who did, doesn't have a personal. It's like interest. a Monty in Python skit. It was foolish to use as all our sources people who have a vested interest in making sure we don't sh shuttle all the eighty-year-olds onto the ice floe. Fair enough. Um, I mean, this this is not look, we've been focused on the fact that Democrats dodged a bullet and Biden dodged a bullet and, you know, had a pretty extraordinary result in the midterms. But um, this ain't going away. He Biden is still Biden. And uh, and uh, he said some confused things on his trip and he went to bed at 8 p.m. rather than have dinner with people that he had summoned to dinner. I mean, you know, we're we're still in the thick of that. And, you know, uh, two years is a long time. Yeah. Or however. Yeah. I mean, two years to the election. And, you know, there's still, you know, I don't know. So we just we can't not keep an eye on it because he is the president of the United States. So and the New York Times can try to cover for it or finally soften the blow of what they intended to do. Um, but it's not going anywhere.
and we will we're not going anywhere either except we're saying goodbye until tomorrow uh we will by the way not be podcasting thursday and friday just to make that clear um you don't get us we have to go buy Bowling Brand sheets on Black Friday. You have to get online because you know I don't. We don't. We don't want a Taylor Swift Ticketmaster situation. By the way, did you see how many times people tried to get onto Ticketmaster last week for Taylor Swift before you know because the system wouldn't work? No, three, proudly no. <laughs> three. Okay, listen to me for a second, and then like just be silent in shock. 3.5 billion attempts to get on to the Ticketmaster website to get tickets to Taylor Swift's concert tour. 3.5 billion attempts. Isn't the Justice That's, Department on this? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I don't know how, how you're going to hold Ticketmaster responsible when when there are 3.5 billion attempts to get onto their website. I mean, Ticketmaster is very close to being a monopoly. I have no problem with it being broken up. The fees they charge are outrageous. And, you know, they got a pass. They merged with, they merged with uh, Live Nation. They probably shouldn't have been allowed to merge with Live Nation. Who knows? Uh, what was going on there, but you know, but anyway, I don't know how you hold Ticketmaster responsible when the entire planet Earth is trying to get at the same time as trying to get a ticket to Taylor Swift concert. Um, apparently, she's very successful, is all I'm saying. Anyway, uh, so if you're going to the Taylor Swift concert, congratulations. Uh, if you're not, come back, and even if you are, come back tomorrow and we'll. Abe, Noah, and Christine. I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the camel burning.